0: Despite actually being really good with money when I was young, I steered away from property because I thought that it was financial shackles. The only stories I ever heard were of it going wrong for people. Hey!
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tarn Shump. And in this episode, we're speaking with Paul and Pascal Avril to learn about how The dual have managed their time in order to build up an 8 property portfolio and working careers they love all while raising a family of their own. Full-time investors and full-time employees, Paul and Pascal have backgrounds reaching far beyond property.
2: We do a variety of things and we'll, we'll, we'll tag team on this, I think. Um, my We have our property investment uh, portfolio, so I guess we're property investors predominantly, but we also have our, let's call it side hustle or day job or whatever you might want to call that. And mine is a remedial massage therapist and I'm also a podcaster as well, like yourself, Tyrone and Pascal.
0: And I um, do a a corporate sales job based on nutrition. My background is uh, I'm a dietitian and I also uh, tinker in a couple of other things as well.
1: With such an interesting side hustle in remedial massage, Paul's daily schedule can vary quite a bit.
2: Okay, yeah. So a few days a week, I'm doing the remedial massage. And then, uh, so for me, that's just six, seven clients per day. And we do, we do that sort of four-ish times a week. The goal between us, Pascal and I, is to create as much flexibility in our life as possible. And so um, I, my job is as a subcontractor, so I have quite a lot of flexibility in that day job. And then in, in the other times, I'm either working on the podcast, working on a couple of, as you call it, side hustles, um, or on the property, which ebbs and flows, as you already know. So um, so it's a variety of things I do in one day, but uh, and I'm always constantly trying to improve my time management to keep that all in check because there's quite a lot happening in any one week. And obviously, our priority there in all of this, which we haven't mentioned, is our daughter, Audrey, who's five months at the moment as we record. So she's the priority, and we try and work things around her as much as possible.
0: We actually have structured our what we do and when we do it, Um, consciously in order to create that flexibility for when Audrey came along. It means that if I'm doing nine to five in a corporate job, Paul's got the flexibility to take clients, more or less clients, and um, then we sort of tag team in and out of things. And that's what I think allows us to do as much as we do.
1: With their main objective being to work around a schedule suitable for both them and their daughter, Pascal's daily activities also change quite a bit. Most of our tasks, however, revolving around property.
0: Currently, it's a little bit different because I am on maternity leave. So, my most of my day is with Audrey. But um, the things that I do in and around that is uh, we run a property Facebook networking group. I'm also involved in a property investment group called the Property Investors Council of Australia, which is a recently formed network of um of like-minded people around Australia. So we're um, involved in getting meetings up and running for that. What else? Uh, I also, like I said, have, um, a skincare business and, um, so create events and, um, just meet with people and chat about that as well. So everything we have, uh, have to have a lot of discipline in our, scheduling and our calendar usage, which is getting better as we go. It's taken a while just so that we can um, get all of these things in and around Audrey.
1: Going back to their childhood, where it all began, Paul shares a little bit about his origin story. I grew up in the middle of England.
2: So uh, my father was born in Birmingham, my mother in Hertfordshire. They ended up in the Midlands somewhere and so I'm a, I'm a UK Midlander. That's uh, where the funny accents come from, pretty much. And uh, yeah, I left, I left the UK in my early 20s and haven't lived there again, but I go back quite often because my family are there. But uh, yeah, so that's that's my um, it's pretty standard up- upbringing, really. All good, you know, good family, supporting.
1: Having officially lived there for five and a half years, Paul explains how he and his wife ended up deciding to live in Australia.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when I left the UK, uh, that was on a... Coming-of-age backpacking trip and my first port of call was Australia. So I did the whole backpacking route. I tried to stay off the tourist trek and went out outbound a little bit. But um, that was my first visit to Australia. But then I, when we got back here, when Pascal got her job here in Adelaide, where we live now, that was about five and a half years ago.
1: And what he did before making the big move from the UK? Pretty standard upbringing. Nothing uh, to
2: sing about, but... Uh, a pretty good, uh, happy life of, up until my twenties when I then decided to leave the UK. But uh, through school, I found that I was probably an average student, and with potential. They always said he's got potential. You know what does that really mean? I don't know. But uh, somebody once sent to me a friend of a family said to me, and I don't know remember what the context was, but he said you seem to have you seem to be a bit of an entrepreneur, or you seem to have entrepreneur type traits. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And I think I'm still trying to work it out. But um, that meant that I I tended to be a bit of the contrarian when it came to normal work, let's call it. I was never really happy in a 9 to 5 Monday to Friday job. And, And so the last 10 years or so, I've been trying to shape things so I can be more flexible around that. And uh, yeah, and I left the UK with a, a mountain of debt. Oh no, sorry. I, I got in while well, I was in the UK up until my early twenties. I got myself into a mountain of debt. I didn't really know how to handle money, and uh, it was through clearing that debt that was my decision to leave the UK and sort of start afresh. Um, note: I did clear the debt before I left the UK. Uh, that's for the inland revenue in the UK. If you're looking for me,
1: while other investors aim to get university qualifications prior to starting their journey. Paul shares that he did things differently, studying for a short while before going straight into the workforce. I'm not university qualified, no. I studied,
2: my schooling was just standard study and I came out and I went into physical education first and I was looking at sports science and that that, uh, that was where my interests lay. And then I probably spent about four or five years sort of floating around, not really sure what I was doing. And which then led me to getting on my travels. So there was only probably a two or three year gap between finishing school and going uh, and starting traveling. So I probably spent all up five plus, yeah, five to seven years traveling and then settled. I mean, in that time, I settled in different countries. I lived in Canada for two years and New Zealand for seven or eight years. Uh, So uh, from school, I was kind of out straight into the workforce. I I did a lot of management leadership and um, I got really involved in training in corporate. So I did a fair bit of a stint in c- corporate training which was really where my skill sets sit. Um, but again, that was sort of a 9 to 5 thing. I still love the training and I still love the shared knowledge aspect of that but it, it just the 9 to 5 corporate world didn't really flick
1: my switch. While Paul did study to get a diploma, him and Pascal's life commitments didn't quite fit right with further education. And so the two founded an in-between.
2: Remedial massage uh, is uh, a diploma. You start with a diploma or you start with a cert for inter-diploma, but then you really, if you want to be really successful, you need to continue your professional development. So I continued to t- train and educate in different modalities of remedial massage. So I think it was about four or five years ago that I decided it was time to leave the corporate world. Is that right?
0: Yeah, when you, when you came over, followed me here, well, came with me here for, um, I was like, right, I'm going to Australia. Paul's, Paul said, great, I'm coming too. I said, that worked out well. <laughs> um, I remember Paul was really, really keen to get into something that really um, gave to people or helped people. He was really, really interested in physical healing and we looked at the options around physio and going back to uni and the massage therapy just looks like a really great uh, in between where he could really do that without having to really go back to being a student and have all of that commitment.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I, I even looked at nursing. I looked at radiology. There was all sorts of aspects I was looking into. And, and you know, I was well into my 30s by this point. And we had some property and we were enjoying the income that I was get, both of us were getting from our corporate roles. So to jump into a four or five year degree at that point didn't really fit. And the massage option like Pascal said it allowed me to do what I wanted to do it really was to help help people with physical health that, that part of the sports and physical health back from when in my in my 20s was still there and so massage yeah seemed like a really good option and now I'm a f- good few years in and I'm absolutely loving it and uh, I'll never let that I'll always be doing that in some degree I think even if it's one day a week I'll always be doing it because it's it's amazing to work one-on-one with someone in that capacity. <laughs>
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Pascal's background story to find out what she dabbled in before getting started in property.
0: I got a degree and a postgraduate diploma as a dietitian and went into a hospital and worked there for five years.
1: How Paul and Pascal actually met.
2: We met in Christchurch, New Zealand. Actually, this was after the Christchurch earthquake. So both of us lived there. We we lived through the earthquake. We met probably within uh, less than a year
1: after the quake how they each kickstart their investing career and portfolio. And I didn't really uh, do
2: anything more in property until I was well in, into my early 30s when I bought a house in New Zealand. And that was in the central of New Zealand, a prop—sorry, four-bedroom property with an outside uh, garage area. And uh, that was with savings. And um, I lived in that property and rented all the rooms out.
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. But what about Pascal? While Paul grew up in the UK, Pascal shares where
0: she actually grew up. Yes, going way back, I grew up in an idyllic part of New Zealand with a reasonably idyllic childhood. Uh, it's if, most people will know of Queenstown in New Zealand. It wasn't Queenstown, but about an hour out of Queenstown at, at that time, especially a sleepy, sleepy little farming town on a lake, but very much picture postcard like. Um, like you would see from from Queenstown and um, <laughs> yeah I mean this lake that we we rented a house on a farm so we didn't actually own the farm my, my parents both left home when they were 18 and traveled the world for seven years and then met and settled down in New Zealand and I think they still were under the illusion that they could have a very um nomadic. kind of nom- nomadic nomadic Style life and and just had that that way of thinking. But I think that as children came along and as the family needed to be supported, they did slip back into regular life as we would know it. But it was still an amazing experience from it from a relatively low income family in that time and place. We were still able to go skiing because the school did ski um, school ski trips, and in our school, our local school, there were forty students total. I um, even remember actually sitting at a table and that table was four kids and it represented the whole year level. And um, we didn't have a boat, but we had friends that had a boat and there was the lake there. And there was, um, uh, because we, we were on a farm, we borrowed a pony from somebody that they weren't using. So we were able to ride ponies and um, all these amazing things that usually cost a lot of money. Uh, But, and my my dad always, ever the adventurer and he still is at heart, um, used to take us just hiking up the mountains at the back of our property. There were no tracks, so we would just work our way up the stream and and figure out how to get across the stream without getting our feet wet and, and go adventuring. So, it was really, really amazing.
1: With such an adventurous childhood in New Zealand and the eventual move into another area, Pascal shares that in her household... Education was always encouraged.
0: The second chapter to that story is that my parents, because of the low amount of employment in that area, we did move away when I was about eight and went to, I went to a regular school, regular high school, was a really good student. And at that age, I think my, at that time, I think my parents, realized that if they had gone to university things would be a lot easier for them and so they really really encouraged me to go to university and naturally I just did that straight out of uni- out of um, high school and followed that that path i got a degree and a postgraduate diploma as a dietitian and went into a hospital and worked there for 5 years so i didn't really i think have the have the breadth of um, knowledge or awareness to know really what there was available to me. It, it was the obvious pass, path, but if I look back now, I think perhaps not the absolute best thing that I could have chosen for me, but that I think is the a very, very common experience for a lot of people.
1: Working as a dietitian, Pascal explains what exactly her job title and description entails.
0: There is a lot of misunderstanding around it. I think people don't realize what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist. And um, a dietitian or a nutritionist, they both are involved in food and what is good for the body and what makes up food. But the major difference is that a dietitian is very also um, trained in the medical background or the the pathology. So a lot to do with diseases relating from nutrition, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, and then also trained in nutrition therapies. Uh, So where somebody might need to be fed through a tube or through an IV line or where they might have a a disease that causes metabolic or um, imbalances and things like uh, your blood electrolytes, so your calcium and phosphorus and all those types of things that can happen from stuff like kidney disease. We specialize in balancing that out and keeping people as well as possible through nutrition therapies.
1: With a career path set, Pascal talks about her experience working in one of the major hospitals in Christchurch and how she realized that she needed a change in her everyday work life.
0: I think I hit a turning point where I was getting a little bit, I felt a little bit institutionalized. I felt like I was getting inspired to make things better and make changes and I was getting met with a little bit of resistance and I just needed a a fresh challenge, something new to do and I possibly could have found it there but I thought, I probably need to either change hospitals, which meant changing cities, or I wasn't sure about changing professions at that stage. But I thought, well, if I'm changing, I might as well. What's the difference moving? to another city or moving to Australia. So I thought, I've always wanted to live in Australia, give it a go, and so I started looking for jobs there. One of the jobs that came up was a corporate job and I thought, hey, that would be a really interesting thing to see what else I'm capable of, so I took a job Sight unseen in Adelaide, I'd never been to Adelaide, but I thought that sounds all right. Um, I can always leave if it doesn't work out, and it turns out it's one of the most amazing places to live. It's it's really, and I've actually resisted leaving for other opportunities because it is such a a great place to live. So um, yeah, jumped into the corporate world and got into something that I never thought that I would get into, which is sales.
1: From working as a dietitian to landing a job in accounts management. Pascal shares that while her job title changed, her work in the health industry has not.
0: It's it's account management. So I rep, I am a representative for a um, company that makes medical nutrition products, and I work in two different states, so South Australia and Tasmania, which has been amazing to actually travel and see Tasmania. And I um, yeah, account management really. So I, I work with customers in hospitals and in private practice, and. Um, Support them in using our products,
1: and her previous knowledge and experience was actually beneficial in helping her excel in her current position.
0: What I really loved was that I would still loved the theory of the degree that I'd done, and it enabled me to have those conversations with a, a dietitian in one of the hospitals where they perhaps had a they were trying to find a solution for one of their patients, and we were able to nut through. The condition that they had and what might be the best solution for them in one of our products. So that was really, really great and kept my, um, I guess, intellectual or the academic side of my brain still ticking. And one of the the beautiful or the, the surprisingly great surprises that I got from sales though is actually realizing how how useful sales is or how much it applies to everything in our life. I think sales is a bit of a dirty word to a lot of people, but you could just switch in a different word and you would realize that we have sales conversations with children, with our partners, with uh, anybody really where we're trying to share a perspective and have them join us in the positives of that perspective, so that we can move forward in something. So it actually ended up not being as difficult as I thought it would be.
2: Even to add to that, um, even with massage, you know, I, I have conversations with my clients that are sales conversations, but the sale instead of sales, it's physical health. You know, we're trying to um, sell them the benefits of living a more positive, physical, healthy life. And uh, so, yeah, as Pascal said, it's in everything. It's, it's sales isn't just, you know, a retail thing. It's everything we talk about.
1: While this explains both Paul and Pascal's story prior to meeting each other, how did the couple actually meet to create the tag team they are today?
2: We met in Christchurch, New Zealand. Actually, this was after the Christchurch earthquake. So both of us lived there. We, we lived through the earthquake, obviously. And uh, the we met probably within uh, less than a year after the quake. Both in very different places than we expected to be a year before, because we didn't, you know, we had to shift our lives quite dramatically. But I'm a—I'd spent many years through my thirties uh, in dancing, so I hadn't—I'd never danced a step up until about thirty, and then I was invited to a salsa, um, a salsa. What's the word? Listen. It was—it was like a. Um, I was asked to go into the performance team and go to an audition. audition. Yeah, I was asked to go to an audition for salsa. And I'd never stepped a step of salsa. Um, but, you know, I was interested. So I went and had a look and ended up, they invited me back and and a couple of times and ended up in this performance team and learning from the baseline, absolute basics of salsa dancing in my 30s, which was super fun, got to compete, got to perform and so on and so forth. In the back end, Pascal, in her life, was getting into uh, jazz, hip hop, contemporary, all kinds of dance, Bollywood, yeah, and cheerleading, and all sorts. And this is before we met. And uh, and but I decided to go to a salsa lesson one day, and I was in the lesson. I wasn't actually teaching at the time, but I was in there, and we crossed paths because in salsa lessons generally you change partners. I I moved along the line, and there's this attractive young lady in front of me and and I said hi and then I moved on and that was that and then it was uh, probably uh, a few weeks later that my housemate my good friend Georgia he said oh I've got a new dance partner she's awesome she's going to come to the performance team with us and lo and behold it was Pascal and then through through a few meetings and catch-ups and, uh, and so on I thought I-, I need to ask this girl out for, for, for lunch and uh, so didn't hesitate to do so and, uh, and fortunately said, yes, which was great. And a quick story on the lunch, I set it all up as a, you know, it would be a casual, but really lovely lunch. And off we went, had a great time, had a good laugh, went really well. Or I thought it went really well and then got to pay. Obviously I was going to be the gentleman and pay for the lunch. and went to, into my wallet and found I'd left my card at home. So never had any money on me to pay for the lunch. And Pascal fortunately laughed that off and paid. And, but they gave me a great excuse to ask her out on a second date so I could redeem myself.
1: Jumping into their property investing journey, Paul and Pascal tell us how many properties they currently have and how and when they actually got started in investing.
2: We've got eight properties at the moment across three different countries. So um, we can kind of build to that in a moment and give you more information. But it started, for me, it started in my early 20s because I, back then, uh, that was 20 something years ago, uh, you know, lending wasn't like it is now. And in the UK, you could probably borrow about 105% against the asset. So, um, I didn't have any money in fact I had like I said lots of debt and I borrowed uh, a more I got a mortgage on a property a two bed two up two down property a terraced house in the UK in the central of UK and lived in it so that was my primary residence I didn't know anything about property investing at this time at this point I had rented rooms in uh, a few different places from the same landlord he owned a number of properties and I'd sort of seen a very very subtle glimpse of what it may look like to own property, but it never really inspired anything in in me at the time. And so, uh, but I did buy my own and I bought it very young, had massive debt. In the end, uh, there was a bit of a boom back in those days, early 2000. And I saw the boom happen and I thought, oh, this is great. I'll sell my house, pay off my debts and leave England. And so that's what I did. In hindsight, I'd probably look back now and say, I could have easily refinanced it, pulled the equity, paid the uh, debt off rented the property out and gone on a, you know on my travels anyway, but that's hindsight for you and education. Um, but that was my first taste of it, and I didn't really uh, do anything more in property until I was well in, into my early thirties when I bought a house in New Zealand, and that was in the central of New Zealand, a five-bedroom property, uh, sorry, four-bedroom property with an outside uh, garage area, and uh, that was with savings and. Um, I lived in that property and rented all the rooms out. So I sacrificed my privacy a little bit, rented all the rooms out and that enabled me to then live for free. So uh, that was probably my first inspiration into being a landlord, owning property in that capacity and and, and using money in that way. So uh, that was really where it
1: started. On the other side of the story, Pascal shares how she is actually hesitant to get into property and how it wasn't until she met Paul that she actually looked at investing.
0: Despite actually being really good with money when I was young, I steered away from property because I thought that it was financial shackles. The only stories I ever heard were of it going wrong for people. My parents rented for a large part of their life and when they did buy, they bought in a time that where the interest rates were around 9%. and. Money was always a little bit stressful. And so I thought, well, why would I do that? So it wasn't until I met Paul and I'd been spent a lot of my savings on overseas travel and had just come back from, uh, I think, my third major trip to Europe. And it was post-earthquake and I had been renting rooms. The amazing house in the center of Christchurch that I'd lived in with my friends had been destroyed and I had to find somewhere else. But so many properties had been damaged that it was really hard to find a room to rent and really expensive. And Paul just said one day, well, why don't you just buy an apartment or why don't you just buy a property? And it was just such a thought out of left field. But when he explained it to me and explained the numbers, I started to see how it could really work. And as it turned out, Paul was also looking for something new to invest in. He had a little bit of money. And so we did what a lot of people would have thought was really shocking, but very, very early in our relationship, we bought a property together. However, we did buy it under a a, a business name and we thought, look, you know, we, we're both practical enough to be able to figure this out if it doesn't work out and we, we never had to do that. Mm-hmm. So we, the first conscious investment property that we bought was a three-bedroom townhouse in Christchurch just post-earthquake, which was really interesting, navigating all of the um the different engineering reports, the
2: insurance,
0: the insurance which was going pear-shaped at the time and was really hard to get insurance and also assessments of the land they they assess land in t1 t2 or t3 which we learned quickly meant that t1 was really good really stable land t3 could be dodgy may not be but it, it ended up affecting property prices as well so but also cast a lot of doubt into a lot of people's minds and there was a lot of fear around buying property and what it might mean in the future. So we, we navigated all of that and bought not one but actually two properties at that time because we had two that, that came up that were really good. So we, we pulled all of our, put all our beans together and um, got my parents in, um, in their first investing experience ever as well to help us out and um, ended up buying two at the same time.
1: It was such an amazing lead up to the start of a fantastic journey. Both Paul and Pascal share whether their investments are primarily in New Zealand, UK, or Australia. We have four here in
2: Adelaide, uh, four here, and the three in New Zealand, and then the one in is that is that eight? Oh no, sorry, four here. Uh, yeah, three in New Zealand, and then one in the UK. Yeah, of course that's eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so they're spread over three countries, which is uh, with an interesting you know portfolio to manage. When you, I mean, the one in the UK, for example, which maybe we can get into in a moment. Um, it, we bought sight site on We haven't seen it. We haven't been there. Haven't met the team who converted it. And uh, so it's been a, that was a really interesting journey.
1: Wow. Okay, that is fascinating. So, I guess the question then I, I've got for you is, um, obviously, you kept the ones in New Zealand because you're living there initially. Um, the one in UK. What was the reason for jumping into that market?
2: Yeah. Good question. Because we, the New Zealand and Australia markets had shifted a little bit. Um, both. Lenders in New Zealand and Australia, obviously, when you, especially early on in the journey of property investment, they means test. So they're looking at your income, they're looking at your serviceability of a property, and that was for us because we were sort of getting to the latter end of our portfolio at this stage, was getting difficult to get lending. A bit more banks and lenders were a bit more hesitant to lend to us, and the UK for me always appealed. We'd uh, we've done. By this time, we'd done a fair bit of education around property and saw that the UK had huge potential for cash flow in certain areas. And so there's a model that we use in the UK. It's it's called HMO, for those who are familiar. That's Houses of Multiple Occupation. And it's essentially a house with four, five, six rooms or more. Each rented out separately, separately to a tenant on a separate tenancy agreement. Each room has an ensuite, and they're shared facilities like kitchen and lounge. Mm. And so, so that's what we own in the UK, and we chose that because the cash flow on just on that one property brings in almost almost um, more than all of our other properties put together. So it's a, wow. it's a really good cash flow because it's six it's six tenants in one property.
1: Any on that note. Paul and Pascal shares how that's affected their property investing direction so far and what they've been able to do with that property. Very, very successful
2: and and for us, that's going to be our focus moving forward at least, you know, to, to the for the next few. But yeah, so it's been fantastic. And like I said, it was sight unseen. We had a, a project team there that we grew a relationship with uh, virtually uh, online and, and via phone call and Skype. And they converted a three-bedroom terrace into a six-bed. We converted into the roof and put in a dormer and a bedroom and uh, bathrooms in every single room. And uh, so it's a massive project. And uh, so yeah, the, the cash flow is really worth it.
1: So, inspired by Paul and Pascal Avril's journey and their amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We will discuss the strategy.
0: It wasn't until that we, we got to Australia actually that we came across the strategy of negative gearing because in New Zealand, you can't depreciate a property. You used to be able to but you can't do that so much. So, There's less negative gearing that goes on in New Zealand and we came to Australia and realised what a big strategy it is for a lot of people but we weren't quite on board with it. It wasn't really our comfort level so we went for the cash flow strategy.
1: Some of the mentalities they shared that motivated them to get started in investing. I think for for me, it was about
2: shifting my Belief systems around money and, and how that uh, and how money works and what it means to me and how I'm going to use it. So really, out of all of this, we want freedom. We want to be able to support our families, and we want to be able to live a, a comfortable
1: life. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investor. To jumpstart your week. Here's Mindset Monday where our real success in property isn't knowledge and skill, it's 70% psychology and mindset. Here's this week's mindset tip from wealth coach Jill McIntyre. You've got some strict guidelines, Jill, on how to write goals. Can you share more on this? 31st of December and then put the year when, whenever it is. And wow, I can't get the grin off my face.
0: Waking up to another 50,000 plus in my bank this morning from a JV by Renault 1-2 subdivision sell deal so energises me. Finding connected money partners for the deal was easier than imagined and I'm loving my newfound confidence that comes with being an area expert and an awesome deal spotter.